All right, let's dive into a new series. Uh, this series has been in the making for a couple years, okay? Um, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But the title is, uh, What Does a Successful Life Look Like? Um, I have wrestled with this thought for years now. And uh, I, I just keep going back and saying, okay, you know, if, if 10 more people uh, come to the church, does that make my life a, a, a little bit more successful? Well, I know the answer to that. Um, uh, you cannot have a successful life if you are only successful in one area of your life. And so I've backed up and I'm like, okay, I, I know what success is not. You know, if I all of a sudden have a million dollars in my bank, do I now have a successful life? I don't know about you. I've, I've reached the point in my life where I recognize that wealth gives you options, but it doesn't make your life successful. And so I've, I've wrestled with it. Um, I've, I've read books on this and tried to wrestle through uh, what is a successful life? Um, you know, my son was in T-ball and uh, when he was four years old. And um, I, I feel like T-ball is for moms. They're not for the kids. They're not for the dads. They're for moms to take pictures of their kids with their new baseball glove because they don't keep the score on T-ball. And that drives me nuts because I kept asking, who's winning? And it's like, it doesn't matter who's winning. I'm like, no, it does matter who's winning. And no, it's just for fun. No, it's only fun if we're winning. And, and, and it doesn't matter if you win or lose just as long as you win. Someone say amen. amen. You know, um, if you win, it's easy to go, hey, man, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's how you play the game. But, it, but if you lose, it does matter. It does matter. And so it would drive me nuts because they don't keep the score. So I started keeping the score. I'm like, it's 57 to 3. Just, you know, T-ball, if you hit it to the second base, that's probably going to be a home run. It's like they're going to get around. You know, they're going to throw the ball over each other's head like seven or eight times. And before you know it, it's like in the in-house home run or infield home run, whatever it's called. But I need to know the score. Uh, I need to know the score in life. Uh, I've gone through seasons of depression over this because I need to know uh, if I have X number of years on this earth, what, what am I aiming at to be successful? What am I, what, what is the goal here? I can't just live I mean, I did the math. This is, let me show you how deep I got into this. I did the math of approximately how many people are going to be in heaven. <laughs> I, now, I know it's, it's crazy math. I might as well just share it with you. So I read somewhere. Um, I can feel I'm chasing a rabbit right now. But I read somewhere. I can't remember the source. That there's more people on the earth right now than there has been previous altogether in the history of the earth. So... What do they say? There's like 7 billion people on the planet right now. Uh, and so there's 7 billion from Adam and Eve all the way up to the 20th century. There was 7 billion. So let's say we got 14 billion people have actually breathed on the earth. So let's just say hypothetically, the Bible says that he'll come in a twinkling of an eye. So at any blink, we could go to heaven. So if we went to heaven today, if we went to heaven right now, let's just round it off. You got 15 billion people that have lived. 
And the Bible says that narrow is the gate that leads to everlasting life. So, and a few go through it. So if there's 15 billion, how many are a few of 15 billion? Just yell out a number. What's a few? The 15 billion. Some of you guys are like, I'm not jumping in that boat with you, man. <laughs> you're so far out there, you're not going to suck me in. Let's just say, let's just say it's five. Right? Let's just say it's five, right? It's less than half. Five. So you got 10 billion are in hell. Five billion are in heaven. So you got five billion people in heaven. So I'm one of five billion. And so, <laughs> so I, you know, I've thought about this. I've gone into like deep thought at three o'clock in the morning, like trying to fix it, you know, to figure out all of eternity here. Is, have you ever stared at the clock and like, I know I slept. I think I slept. And, I mean, so I've thought about this. If I'm one of five billion people, and, and, and the Bible makes it crystal clear, we're not all equal in heaven. There's a rank. Jesus said so. He said, the least of these shall be the greatest. And the greatest in heaven are servants of all men. So when he said that, that means there's a least and there's a greatest. And so I've just backed up and I'm like, okay, how does my life, what is success? What am I aiming at? What am I trying to do here? And so this has really been on my mind and, and uh, I've read lots of books and, and one book in particular shared this, this formula that really, really got a hold of me because it's my formula that I've been using for years. And, and it's the, the formula sounds like this, your performance plus the opinion of others equals self-worth. So if you're doing good at your work, for example, you're doing good at your job, and people that are important to you think well of you, then you tend to have a higher self-worth. But let's just use me as an example. If I don't feel like I'm doing a good job as a pastor, then that messes up the equation immediately. It doesn't even matter what people think about me because if I think my performance is subpar, it messes up the answer. So all of a sudden my self-worth is weak. If, if, there's, if I don't feel like people like me, then all of a sudden my self-worth is weak. And so your performance... Plus, the opinion of others ends up equaling our self-worth. And so this has been bothering me because I know that that's wrong. I know that I can't back up and say, I am successful determining on whether or not people like me. Like, I know that's wrong. And so I, I talked to the Lord about it. I said, Lord, I, I know I'm supposed to build my self-worth in the fact that I'm a son of God. But I'm going to need more than that. And I feel like he gave me four things that serve as a cornerstone to the foundation of our life. That if we have these strong four cornerstones in our life, we can back up and use them as metrics to back up and say, check, 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 check. These four areas. If I don't do anything good in my life, but I, I am good at those four areas, when our heart takes that last beat, we will have lived a very successful life life. Now, I'm going to tell you now, I'm not going to be able to cover all of my notes. I over-prepared for this sermon. Um, so if you want to see all of my notes, they're inside the app. You can go to your app store, put in Woodland Celebration, pull up my notes. 
and, uh, and follow along with me or email it to yourself. Um, but I'm going to tell you all four uh, right now in summary. And then I'm going to spend some time on the first one. Next week, I'll spend some time on the second. Third week, I'll spend some time on the third. You got it by now. Um, here they are. Number one, and this is not in order of importance, just like the four cornerstones, every cornerstone is important, okay? You don't look at a cornerstone of a foundation and say, well, that one's less important. They're all important. Number one is time with your family. Time with your family. Number two, your time spent with God. What you learn and what you experience in the presence of God, you cannot learn and experience in the presence of man. When you spend time with God, an anchor gets placed in your soul that when the storm comes and the storm will come, when the wind blows and the wind will blow, you will be an anchor. You'll cry but feel peace at the same time. The Bible says that you do not experience sorrow like other people experience sorrow. If your father dies, your mother dies, or you lose a job, you're going to be sad just like the next guy. But you do not have sorrow without hope. You, you have hope. It's an anchor. You only get that in the presence of God. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth said, I believe it was Smith Wigglesworth, it was one of the early church fathers, says, I may not pray an hour a day, but an hour doesn't go by without me praying. you got to spend time in the presence of God. You have to have an appointment with God, whether it's five minutes, ten minutes, an hour and ten minutes. You have to have an appointment with God. You say, Frank, I don't have time for an appointment. Absolutely you do, because you can always wake up earlier. All right, moving right along. Um, number three, number three is, 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 is cultivating. Now think about cultivating a plant or a flower or a tree or grass. Cultivating your God-given talents and opportunities. God has given you talents. He's opened up the door for certain opportunities, his opportunities. He's going to hold you accountable. I've given you these talents. I want you to use them. The Bible says that he wants us to subdue the earth. We, we've got to go out and, and, and work and produce. Now, there's God-given opportunities, and then there's just opportunities, which is, circles you back to number two, why you have to spend pres- the time in the presence of God. I could go to, I could quit my job right now, mic drop, boom, and go work at TCBY Yogurt. Does, does that still exist? Yeah. That might be in the blockbuster boat, you know. Um, but uh, I can go work at Chili's. There's, they're, they're always hiring. That opportunity is always there. But is it a, a God opportunity? When we stand before the Lord, did you cultivate the God-given talents and the God-given opportunities? And then number four, was the great commission of great importance to you? So those are the four things that I'm going to cover. If we can check those boxes, at the end of your life, you have lived a very, very successful life. Let me spend some time on the first one, which is family. Family is an interesting dynamic because um, both quantity and quality is important when spending time with your family. But you can't always be in a season where uh, quantity is an option. 
There's a lot of seasons, a lot of days where quantity is just not an option. Uh, I'll say this about quantity. You have to circle days or weeks or times of the month where you are committed to the quantity. Otherwise it won't happen. Quantity is important. Quality is of equal importance, if not more. Especially if you have children. Let's always remember, no one can bless your children like you can. No one can speak life into your children like you can. If you have children, the whole world can say kind things. But if you don't, there will be a hole there. No one can encourage and affirm a little boy or a little girl can be doing a recital or a football game and the whole room can be clapping. But if mama's not, there's a, the whole room is may as well not even be clapping. The voice we speak to our children ends up being their inner voice. They hear it. They... It, it, There's great importance on the quality of time. No one can curse a child like a parent. Parents that are harsh with their children long after they die, the children can still hear that voice. You want to live a successful life, it's about your children. I was in the car the other day and I was thanking the Lord for this message because I want to live a successful life. And my kid was sitting in the back seat here and I'm driving the car and just reached back there and held her hand because I don't have time for quantity, but I can make a moment and have quality. Let me say this. If your child is wayward, he's not following the things of God. Let me encourage you there. You are not raising your child alone. It's a co-op system. You, you raise your child when you're talking to him or her. When you're around him or her. But you're not around him or her 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit, they can't go anywhere. And if you're a mama who knows how to pray, you will bug your child to death. Because every time they go to say something, they'll feel the Holy Spirit whispering in their ear. You will drive them crazy. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't do that. Don't say that. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. And all the while, man, God won't leave me alone because mama won't stop praying. Mama, you get a mama praying, boy, hell runs. I tell you, don't stop praying. Children. We, th- there is nothing more important. Let me challenge us as, as parents to do a couple things. Number one, let's bring dinner back. Let's bring dinner back. Uh, I know we live in a, in a fast food generation. I know we live in a generation where one parent's getting home at four, the other parent's getting home at eight. We're living in a generation where there's a lot of single parents and you just can't do everything. But, but once a week we can have dinner together. Uh, I fear that the dinner table in my house has turned into a piece of furniture. Right. And we just like uh, me and my wife said, well, we're going to use our dinner table at least once a week. And and it might be breakfast on Saturday morning, but we're going to use our dinner table again. Um, But children is so important. Let me share this with you. If your child is an adult or a teenager and they're not giving you the voice of a coach, there's always room in the cheering section. 
And somebody who has, who is full of hope and encouragement will always have influence. You get on there and you lift them up. And I went to a funeral a couple years ago and, and, and son and daughter, they had six kids and every single one of them got up there and said, I, I, the thing I'm going to miss most about my dad is that he text messaged me every day. And I sat there two years ago and I said, when my kids get phones, I'm going to text message them every day. And, you know, it's it's not so much the the quantity. I hate to say this because I know I'm going to pick a a scab that, well, it's never going to heal. But my wife's father passed away two years ago or one year, year and a half ago. And and, um, one of the things that she misses most is that he would call her every single day. And sometimes she couldn't answer the phone and it would go to voicemail, but she knew that he called. And sometimes the conversation was three minutes. Hey, daddy, I can't talk right now. And he goes, no problem. Just wanted to hear your voice. I love you. Sometimes it was an hour and a half. It's, it's, it's the, the, the quality, the, the looking in the eyes. How is your day? You know, my daughter is 13. That means she gets in trouble a lot. And so I, I, you know, there's been times where I'm like, I'm about to, you're about to be in a lot of trouble, but you don't even know it. And I'm about to fuss at you. No, I'm going to yell at her. I'm not going to fuss at her. There's different levels. And, uh, but before I even get there, I'm, I'm training myself. Look her in the eye. Hey, how was your day? Now it may only last 60 seconds. Cause I got a, a can I got to open up in a minute. <laughs> I didn't need to say that. <laughs> Let me talk about us as, as, as our marriages. Uh, your, your marriage, uh, it, when you lay your head down, or did you have a successful life? Oh, it's, it's about your marriage. It's about your family, your marriage. Let me just say this, ladies, if you knew how much power you had... To cause a guy to go to places that he's never been. It would blow your mind. Best way I can, I can illustrate this is, I heard this years ago. This guy was driving on the road. It was some high-end car like a, a BMW or a Mercedes. And he came to a red light. And his wife was sitting right here in the passenger seat. I've told this story before, but i got to share it again. They came to the red light. And, and, and she looked out the window and she went, oh my goodness. I used to date that guy in high school. And he was like digging ditches. And, uh, and, and the guy that was driving the car, he was the mayor of the city. And he looked at his wife and he said, well, aren't you glad you married me? I'm the mayor. And she said, well, if I would have married him, he would have been the mayor. There's there's something about when a woman begins to affirm a guy. If you tell your husband, baby, I was watching you mow the grass the other day. Boy, when you get sweaty and you're out there working, you look good. He will mow it every morning. (laughs) Sucking in that... He will mow it every morning if you knew how much influence. And and I tell you, women don't have an opportunity a lot of times to dial in that affirmation and encouragement to the highest degree that you're capable of doing it because you have needs as well. And so you're not able to operate as 
the wife that you're capable of being because us men, we need to make sure that we're, we're throwing some logs on that fire. And when that fire goes out, we get mad that we're not getting any affirmation, but the, the fire's out. You know, there's a, a guy by the name of Jack Hayford. Raise your hand if you know that name. You know that name, Jack Hayford. Um, he is uh, 83 years old this year. And uh, it's, he was doing a, a seminar. He's like a modern-day Moses. He was doing a, mar- a marriage seminar. And he said, you know, I've done a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of weddings in, in my career. And um, the ones that stay married are the ones that have a really good sex life. And the ones that get divorced, they're the ones that their sex life was not that good. And so I want to tell you, have a lot of sex, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let me just take a sidebar. If you're a parent and you're like, my kids are in here, how come? <laughs> <laughs> we got Collide 6A that goes... <laughs> Down the hall and to the right, just on the hall and to the right. But, but getting back to it, he goes, I want to encourage you to do it a lot. And then he opened it up for, for question and answer. And, and somebody, of course it was a guy, raised his hand and said, how much is a lot? Everybody started laughing and Jack, you know, you can't, you can't get him mixed up. He said, I, I don't know. I don't know. Just make sure it's a lot. Well, the crowd was really interactive, just like you guys are. And, He's like, okay, I'll tell you how much a lot. He goes, I don't know, twice a week. And, and there were some men that were like, praise you, Jesus, you know. And there was other ladies that were like, oh, gosh. Um, but he goes, twice a week. He goes, if you, if you have sex twice a week, they are appointments in your week. If it's Monday night, it doesn't even matter if you're fighting or not. If you're mad at each other or not, twice a week, non-negotiable. Tell your kids you're going to work on your taxes. Gotta go work, gotta go do my taxes, baby. Gotta go do my taxes. You go watch TV for a little while. Lock the door. You go, whether you're fighting or not, he goes, because here's the deal. He goes, when you show up and you're mad at each other, you'll say to each other, look, I don't want to do this any more than you do, but the pastor said we got to, so come on. He, he made it abundantly clear. He said, you, you cannot, you cannot have um, uh, anger towards your spouse for very long when you got a thriving sex life. I just want to make a note as well. This morning, I've had almost three people walk out over the last three services at this portion of the service. And I just want to say, you cannot preach on this topic and build a church either. (laughs) But I'm not trying to build a church. I'm trying to make heaven crowded. And I need to save some marriages this morning. I need to save some marriages. And uh, if you're fighting with your spouse and you haven't talked to each other, are you just talking to each other when you have to? Uh, the devil's talking to both of you. And if you're talking to her in your head and you're talking to him in your head, that's the enemy entertaining conversations. There's got to be a part of you that just breaks that off your shoulders and raises your hands and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I got to tell you, 
There's so much pride involved in an argument with a husband and a wife. And I know that because my wife and I get into arguments all the time. And it reaches a point where right or wrong doesn't even matter. It's just angry and mad now. And, and at that point, it's just, it's just pride. It's just pride. And I got to tell you, if you want to back up and say, I have, as I've been living a successful life. Oh, you got to spend that time with your children. You need to make, just so you don't think I'm just making this up, this is in the Bible. <laughs> Let me read it to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, husband nor wife has authority over their own body. Therefore, do not deprive one another. You know, God has these certain things in life that keep us together. And I want to encourage you to do that. Let me show you one more illustration. Can I get that, that spear? Um, the Bible says that we should honor our parents. And when it comes to our family, you got your children, you got your spouse, and you've got your parents. And it's interesting with our parents because there once was a time where we looked at our parents and we think that they could walk on water. And then we started growing up and we started seeing that maybe they can't walk on water. In fact, you start seeing their warts and things that they're not good at. And some of the things that our parents did really hurt us. They hurt me. Um, and it's very easy to stop honoring your mother and father, especially if they've caused harm. I, I want to say that every single person in our life that said something to us, it was like them throwing a spear at us, whether it's your friend, a work associate, a neighbor, a spouse, a father, a mother, every person that has ever said something bad about you, it was like they just threw a spear at you. Some of, it, some of the spears were coming straight at you, and some of the spears, you didn't even know it. They threw it behind your back, stuck you in the back, and you didn't find out for weeks, months later, sometimes years later. But what they did cannot dictate what you do. Uh, I've, I've learned that when David's spiritual father, Saul, he was not happy with him and he literally chucked physical spears. His blood father, Jesse, overlooked him. It wasn't a physical spear. It was a spear with actions. And David learned, look, I can unpry this spear out of the wall and I can chuck it back at you. I can, you, oh, you want to talk like that? You, you want to be crazy? I invented crazy. I, I'll teach you about crazy. And, and you can be crazy back. And you may even be able to outwit them. Oh, oh, okay, so you want to be like that? I'll move the chess pieces around you and, and, and have you chasing your tail before this is over. Some of you are so smart. But this is this spear in my hand. Sarah Stevens gave it to me, our chief of staff, our director of ministries. She gave it to me for Christmas and she said, may you never perfect the art of spear chucking. 
You know, when somebody says something about me or hurts me, maybe it happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago. The art of getting them back is spear chucking. May you never perfect the art of spear chucking. It'll hurt. It will hurt. But as the Tale of Three Kings, the book of Tale of Three Kings once said, it'll hurt, but just pray when they throw those spears, it hits you right in the heart. That way your pride will die quickly. If you want to be successful, if you want to lay, can I give this back to you, Charles? You want to lay your head on your pillow Do a checklist in your mind. And let me say this. For those of you that are in a tough season right now, a teacher never talks while you're taking a test. So don't get upset that the Lord feels far away from you. He's closer to you than you've ever been. But when you get ready to grade yourself, just like when you were in school, you don't get to grade your own paper. You got to trade the paper with your neighbor. You want to know how you're doing In that first category, be courageous enough to ask your family how you're doing. Be courageous enough. Let me tell you, and I need to say this, many of you, your life is far more successful than you ever dreamed it was. You've been looking at the wrong metrics You've been looking at the bank account. You've been looking at the job. You've been looking at the car. You've been looking at your house. You've been looking at where your life is compared to everyone else's life. And those are the wrong metrics. Because your children know that you are not perfect, but you love them to pieces. Your children know you're half crazy. Every parent's half crazy. Your children know you're half crazy, but they know that you will stand in front of a train for them. You have no idea when you stand before God, those of you parents, especially you single parents, the sacrifice that you make. The sacrifice. You have no idea. You single parents are probably... The most successful among us. Don't get caught up in how many pairs of shoes you have because nobody is counting, nobody cares. When you stand before the Lord, He's going to look at your number one, your number one responsibility was your family. How did you do? How did you do? Our youth pastor, Caleb. He was talking about his dad and his eyes watered up because he loves his dad so much. I finally met his dad and I said, hey, your son, we're excited about hiring him. He goes, yeah, I'm really proud of him. And his dad's eyes watered up. You see, let me tell you, what's your dad's name again? Mike. Mike. I don't even care what's in his bank account. I don't care what kind of car he drives or how big his house is. He loves his boy. Some of you parents, you have no idea how successful you are. You have no idea. 
Let's all stand to our feet for me, please. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let's just raise both hands as a sign of surrender to the Lord. Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord before. Let's let's emphasize our love towards Him. Can we all, every single one of us, say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please forgive me? Come on, say that. Would you please forgive me? I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your hands up and your eyes closed if you don't mind. In a moment, I'm going to step off the stage and the worship team is going to sing. And when they do, I'd like for you to just whisper to the Lord. God, what are you trying to say to me this morning? You can leave whenever you get ready. There's no official dismissal, but just take a moment and ask the Lord that. May the Lord bless you all. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. May the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.